We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Before we talk about anything related to the Knicks or basketball, I am pleased. I am excited. I am, uh, I am, I am, I am longing no more because I get to welcome back my co-host, my partner in crime, all due respect to Benji, Fred, uh, the beloved Andrew behind the ones or on the ones and twos for this episode. But there's only one Jeremy Cohen. So happy to have him back. How you doing, bud? I'm great. Unfortunately, there are actually a lot of Jeremy Cohens, which is an issue I've run into quite frequently. Uh, but I, in this are context, really? I will take it. There are. Yes. There's a photographer. Jeremy Cohen Jeremy who went viral Cohen. during pandemic. There are actors and musicians. So my goal is just be the highest uh, ranked one on the Google algorithm. That's what I strive for, because that way I can um, I can just say I'm the best. Jeremy Cohen there ever was. And uh, we'll see. No, but uh, it's very good to be back. I'm glad Andrew got my facts that said I'm back. It's been a long <laughs> few weeks and I appreciate Benji and Fred for filling in and uh, keeping the seat warm. Thank you guys. I just checked. I'm apparently the highest of the first person that comes up on, but is that because it's my Google that it knows to pull me up first? You could have done an incognito window, but how many Jonathan Macri's do you think there are out there? Well, see, here's the thing. I got a lot of shit around fantasy football draft time because there's another Jonathan Macri that writes about like fantasy football. Mm -hmm. And there used to be a race car driver, Jonathan Macri. I don't know what became of him. Um, It's fair. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, whatever. Small victories, right? Um, Welcome back. (laughs) It's good to see you. It's been been three weeks, right? Yeah, uh, it's been three weeks. It's been a lot of travel for work. Great stuff. All, uh, you know, I was in multiple countries and time zones and everything. Really exciting stuff. But uh, it's it's nice to be back in my own home and uh, sleeping in my own bed tonight because that's something I haven't really done much over the last couple of weeks. Well, that's the thing is like, even though it's the first time like I'm we're uh, talking uh, and it's the first time people obviously listen to the podcast or hearing from you in a while, like I feel like uh, 
this is going to be a weird analogy. I feel like the parent of some someone uh, who has gone away to college and I'm like seeing their Instagram account or what I don't obviously I don't have Instagram or I don't check my Instagram. But on your text on our text thread, like you're uh, seeing pictures of this drone show and that drone show. And it's it's amazing stuff. And you guys are you guys are killing it and clearly having a great time doing it. So um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, for for those who don't know what I do, uh, I lead client services and creative for a drone light show company. We did a show in the Cayman Islands, then went up to Miami for a week, did a couple shows there, did a first ever uh, NFL drone show for a game. We did Monday Night Football. And then I was in LA, just got back an hour ago. And for 48 hours, we did a NASCAR show at the um, LA Coliseum where they were doing... Mexico versus Colombia soccer match because they're doing NASCAR is having a whole thing in LA in uh, February, on February 4th. So it's just been a, an amazing opportunity to do all this. But uh, John, I, I have to ask you some Knicks related things because I've certainly been living under the rock. And uh, so, so just some questions uh, that I'd like to run by you before we get started. If that's cool. Yes. So when I left at the end of uh, November, um, the Knicks had a starting lineup of uh, Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson. All of those players are still in this. That's the same lineup, right? The Knicks haven't deviated from that whatsoever. Same same starting lineup. You know, it's funny you ask that. Um, there have been some developments on that front. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, I will ponder that. Another one is, um, did, did they incorporate a second basketball into the sport of the NBA? Like, are they playing with multiple balls at once now? That's what she said. Uh, not... I well, I mean, it seemed like the Clippers were playing with with uh, multiple basketballs the other night, but no, I don't believe they've made that rule change. Why do you ask? Uh, well, I I was very confused because I went online and I saw a lot of Knicks fans interested in Demar Derozan, so I thought clearly the Knicks must have introduced uh, or like the, the NBA must have done something, and then this whole thing with Giannis and wanting to steal a basketball and the Pacers. Yeah. I just thought there were multiple basketballs <laughs> that were now uh, being used at one time. So thank you for clearing that up. And the last Anytime. question I have. You know, the Knicks own the uh, Detroit Pistons second round pick. Since I left, uh, then the Pistons were the worst team in the NBA. I I have to assume that they've won at least I don't know, three games, let alone two. I, I mean, one. They've, they've had to have won one game since we last recorded, right? J- Jeremy, um, you can, because I know you feel this passionately about second round picks any draft assets really you can go ahead and tattoo 31st pick of the 2024 NBA draft right on it. I don't know where you would get that tattoo. Um, I, I could, I could give you a few recommendations, sure. uh, but yeah, it, it, you can put that in permanent ink. Cause that, that baby is signed, sealed and delivered, uh, but they've won a game though. This is what you're selling. <laughs> no, they have not. Oh, Oh wow. Okay. Well, thank you for filling me in on everything basketball related. I think we're actually good. We can probably cut. We can proceed. There. Great. No, we're uh, done. We're, we don't need any more episodes. This is great. Banter. No. Um, like rate and subscribe and we're good. So um, let us talk about the week that was. It has been three weeks of basketball since we've spoken. Um, and it's weird. It's a, it's a weird spot to talk about this team right now. I think we are in that that the portion of the NBA season that every NBA team goes through or many NBA teams go through where things feel more than a bit tenuous uh, and 
the highs can be incredibly high after a win. The lows can be incredibly low after a loss. Um, and I say that coming off of a week in which uh, the start of the week, we're feeling pretty low, uh, having gotten absolutely lambasted uh, in... Actually, no, that's not fair. That those Both of those were games at some point in the fourth quarter, maybe early on in the fourth quarter. But like they gave up a, a ton of points to the, the Bucs and Celtics in the end season tournament. A lot of talk about whether... You know, the Knicks got shafted by having to play two road games against two of the best teams in the league, maybe the two best teams in the East. Um, and so coming off of that low, got nice and high after a good win over the Toronto Raptors, gave up 130 points, but no win is a win. They look very good doing it. Uh, that was followed by a low in which they lost to a Jazz team that really had been playing some very, very poor basketball of late. Got Laurie Markkinen back, but still... Um, Market and played the uh, another game recently. I don't know if it was the next game or the game after that, but they got killed. Uh, so it's like you look at that and you're like, eh, maybe we we shouldn't be too forgiving just because Market and played. Uh, and that was followed by. I, I'm curious to get your take on it. Maybe the highest high of the season. The Miami game felt pretty awesome. This topped it for me um, because of the Brunson performance that I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll touch on later. And then that was followed by. I mean, to call it a low is like, I don't know. And this is where I want to get your your impression because obviously you see the final score. I don't know how much of the, the game you actually got to watch, but the Knicks gave up 144 points to Los Angeles Clippers. And it could have been, like I'm thinking of what Dame said after the in-season tournament game where he was like, yeah, we could have put up 160 or something tonight. The Clippers, like they didn't need to say it. They absolutely could have put up 160 uh, without breaking a sweat the way they were going in the second half. Um, but Ty Lue called off the dogs and, and you know, 144 is, is what it is. And it's just kind of, you know, second night of back-to-back, emotional letdown, the whole thing. Um, I get it. Uh, but it solidified amidst this up-and-down stretch uh, the status of a team that can no longer figure out how to play I'm not even going to say competent NBA defense because uh, that's I, I what's what's a level below competent because I think that's where the Knicks are shooting to get back to right now and that's where we are. Um, so I'm just going to kind of throw it to you for whatever impressions that you want to give at this point. I'd say the overarching theme here for me remains that the Knicks, aside from this Jazz game, are excellent against teams that are below 500 and will ultimately continue to struggle against teams that are um, considered in an upper class of, of talent. And I don't mean that as disrespectful to the Knicks. I mean that as a compliment to the teams that have said stars. It, it just feels like there's a check-in that happens and it's like, yeah, this is consistently the case. It happens again. It just, unless there's something materially dis- different with this roster, and it doesn't have to be now, but just at some point it will need to be. I just don't expect much than this is a really good ball club that fights hard, that still needs work on the defensive side. And they are just figuring things out and they're trying to do it. I mean, Mitchell Robinson, obviously the impact is there, right? Missing out on Mitch, huge. But if Mitchell Robinson was the only person who was saving your defensive rating, then you have larger problems than losing Mitchell Robinson. And my whole concern is when you look at a team like the Knicks, where, okay, it wasn't working with Quentin Grimes. He seemed fine with going into the backup unit. Cool. Well, you've lost your best 
defender on the perimeter. You don't have anyone who really matches up quite in the same way. DiVincenzo's really not that type of defender. He's more of a, of a helper, low activity guy, not going to be the, the point of attack, so to speak. And then you lose Mitch. And now you're left with players who can grade out defensively, but no one who's strong enough to stand out to really give you much. I mean, Sims isn't going to be that guy. DiVincenzo is not going to be that guy. Arge has been better, but he, that's not his assignments haven't been quite that tough. Randall, his advanced metrics are strong, but it's the process that's still the problem. And Brunson, obviously great with taking all those charges, but he's limited in terms of what he can do. So it just, yeah. it feels bare. And I don't really know what the Knicks can do to turn around internally. Not saying they can't. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out how they can really switch things up where they get to a happy spot because it doesn't feel like they can achieve that as things currently stand. What do so you think? I'm going to, I'll push back a little bit um, on the Mitch thing. And I'm going to, for actually, no, I'm going to agree with you in your overall premise, which is like, if losing Mitchell Robinson makes your defense fall apart to this degree, there, there are bigger problems at play here. I agree with you that losing one player to for, for a defense to fall apart, losing one player for any team, with the exception of whatever team happens to employ Rudy Gobert, who has kind of existed in his own like ecosystem, like not an ecosystem, in his own stratosphere defensively, I think. I, I don't know. You want to put Draymond Green in that class over the last 10 years? I don't want to get into a Draymond conversation, but like he's close to, right? Um, other than those couple of guys, and those guys are paid, by the way, appropriately. Like, Draymond makes a little bit less now, but like he was a max guy or close to a max guy. Rudy Gobert obviously makes $40 million a year. Like you are paying for that one man ecosystem. It, any other team in the NBA, if they're going to be a, a, a championship caliber defense or even a, like a, a borderline contender level defense, you would think that they are more than just one player. Is that all fair to say? Sure. Okay. All that being said, I think the Knicks and specifically Tibbs really from when he first took over made this deal with the devil that we're going to, we're going to, beg, borrow, and steal, and make all kinds of compromises left, right, up, and down. And the one area that we are going to not compromise, and the one area that we... And much of this is good of many people, by the way, who wanted them, who wanted to play small ball and this and then over, over the last few years. The one area we're not going to compromise is at the center position. And that, once upon a time, manifested itself in Lowlands Noel, like, getting some, like, low-key All-NBA, you know, or not All-NBA, All-Defense uh, love, uh, you know, and, and then re-signing him, and um, you know, and then it was, and then now it's Mitch, and then Hardenstein, they signed him in part because his defense is also very strong, but really, I do think, this is a very long way of saying, I do think Mitch is that important to them, and is that a, is that a problem that he is that important to them? I do. Um, like you want to call it a house of cards fine but he he was like the 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 brick <laughs> i don't know if this analogy works either but the brick that all the cards were on top of like you take away the brick like it, it, it's 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 something i don't know is a quicksand i don't know what it is they have other good defenders like 
you mentioned a few, like Josh Hart's a good defender. Quentin Grimes is a good defender. Emmanuel Quickly is a good defender. RJ, I think, has been pretty good defensively this year. Um, DiVincenzo in the right role, which is not the role he's in now, has been a good defender. I think the fundamental issue comes in the fact that Robinson being specifically a starter allowed you to get away with playing your three ball dominant guys together uh, in uh, Barrett, Randall, and Brunson. And those are three guys, and I know you know the numbers as well as I do. They're, they're numbers as a trio defensively since they first stepped foot on the court together, uh, whatever it was, 13, 14 months ago, have been bad. I mean, last year they were atrocious. This year they're just like playing bad. Uh, very bad, but, but bad. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think we're at a place where I don't think that there is an answer on the roster. Like, yeah, we could talk about like, should Hardenstein start or should Grimes go back in the starting line? And maybe they do both of those things. I, I honestly don't know, but anyway, you cut it. Now you're, you're begging or uh, stealing from, from Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are other consequences that, that will probably come because the flip side of the coin, and I don't, I'll, I'll throw it back to you before I get into this is like, they have stumbled upon a, an offensive formula that even without Mitch seems to continue to work and not just work, but like work to a degree that we've never seen before. Their offense is actually since the first two weeks of the season when they were like, couldn't hit a shot. Their offense is even better than last year. Um, But we'll get back to that in a second. So like, yeah, just a a thought on that. Cause I think you're right, but I do think you're underselling Mitch a little bit with how much he means to them. No, I don't mean to do that. I'm just, the main point here is, okay, look at, look at Gobert, for example, right? Sure. Gobert, I would imagine he's the front runner for the defensive player of the year award this year in Utah. Yes. When the jazz built around Gobert, Milwaukee, had, uh, Minnesota, you said Utah. No, no, no. Uh, yes. I meant Utah. When, I'm saying oh. in the past before he was yes. with the minute with the Timberwolves, when he was there, the jazz had a phenomenal offense, right? They had Connolly, yep. they had Mitch, uh, Donovan Mitchell, they had uh, Boyan Bogdanovich and they had Royce O'Neal and they had number one, number one offense in the league. I think at least once, if not twice. Right. And Gobert did a great job of helping that team maintain the best defensive identity they could have. The issue that they often ran into was having someone who is a true standout elite defender on the perimeter. Yeah. Or someone who could match up really well with wings. Royce O'Neal would take the responsibility, but he was necessarily he wasn't necessarily the person who should be best suited for it because he's a smaller guy, not as talented, but he took on the responsibilities. And every playoffs. The Jazz would succumb to another team yes. due to Gobert could only do so much. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about how the Knicks are building as a team and how there are parallels in terms of how they build like the Jazz. From a defensive identity standpoint, Mitchell Robinson is crucial. I completely agree with you. What I'm saying is that there's still that missing piece, whether it's at the two, three, or the four. If it can't be Grimes, it's got to be someone else. But it, but there's a likelihood that it might not need to be Grimes. Is it shifting Archie to the two and bringing in a three? Is it moving Randall and getting a defensive four? Like all these different permutations and things you could consider. We don't have to pick one, but just the general concept of it. There needs to be kind of that stalwart that's near, which is in the same way the Timberwolves have now, right? They theoretically they speaking, went healthy. <laughs> right. They have McDaniels. Yeah. They have Edwards. I, yeah. I mean, they have Anderson. They have so many wings and guards that they can throw at other teams that they know will match up well defensively. And that's yep. where the Knicks really 
suffer. And yes, there is the logjam issue. But we've also said there's a logjam log jam issue every single season since this front office has taken over. It's seemingly been, well, there are too many players here and there. And this year, yes, it seems as that's the case, but then it always kind of works its way out in some capacity. So we have common ground in terms of how important Mitch is. I guess I'm just going one step further in terms of how I feel this team needs someone who is an absolute standout still on the wing defensively, and they just don't have that. But in the meantime, they're just going to be left trying to figure out the combinations in-house that can work. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think what Grimes going out of the starting lineup, I think the reason why Thibodeau ultimately felt confident enough making that bet um, is because is because of Mitch. Like there, there's nothing else. It was it was okay. So everybody, like everybody, kind of moves up a rung. Like RJ now goes from guarding the second least or the second most threatening wing defender. Now you're probably going to put RJ on the the best wing or sorry, but wing offensive player. And like, um, you know, DiVincenzo is going to have to take up a step, step up in weight class in terms of who he guard. Like everybody's going to have to take a step up. Um, maybe your, 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 um, backup unit defense gets up, like increases a little bit, but I don't, I think the bet was more like the payoff offensively is going to be worth the drop off. Defensively, I think that was the bet that he made without Mitch because they don't have the sort of guy that you're talking about, which like, again, you know, I'll just say the name we always bring up. Like if you put OG Ananobi on this team tomorrow, all of a sudden, okay, there's your guy who you can sick him on whoever the best offensive player. It doesn't even matter what position they play on the other team, like put him on that player. And then all of a sudden RJ goes back to, or DiVincenzo goes back to guard it. Well, in this case, I guess probably RJ wouldn't be here, but like, oh well, not necessarily, but not necessarily, right? Not necessarily. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, Divincenzo who is uh, with the subs, or and it's OGN and and uh, RJ and Julius, and they're all still here. Whatever, but like it moves everybody down a notch. Um, they don't have that guy, and so here we are. I I guess the I I don't really have anything else to say on on the defense. The two things I'll, I'll say, and then we could move on to talking. So there's been some transactional news that maybe we'll have to do a little bit with this conversation. Um, but like you mentioned, like what do they do? Like is the answer in house or this that the other thing? Like I'm looking at this. They got 30 games until the All Star break. 
Um, of those, there are eight games against teams that are not currently in the top 10 in either conference. And two of those eight are against the Grizzlies who are, I'm, I think they've done enough uh, with job Morant out where they'll be still going for it. So I, I don't look at those games as teams or as games against like quote unquote bad teams. So to me, um, basically four out of every five games that you're going to play from now to the all-star break are against like solid competition. You know, like the worst of those other 24 games is probably against like Toronto. Um, so they are going to need to, you know, even if you give them six, the six wins against the teams that they should beat, which again, they lost to the Jets. So it's no guarantee. Um, like, can you get to 500 at the, like without Mitch at the, they're two and two so far without Mitch. So that's good. You're, you're, you're a little bit of the way there. Can you go 15 and 15 or even like 14 and 16? Um, these next 30 games and just keep your head above water until hopefully, hopefully, hopefully Robinson comes back after the break. Um, you know, you win the six games you're supposed to can, you know, that would be like eight, 16 against the other teams. Like that seems doable, right? Even without Mitchell Robinson, maybe they could even go a little bit better. The only other thing I'll say, and, and this relates to what we saw from Brunson, but it also honestly relates to what we saw against the Clippers on on the offensive end, this team's really freaking hard to guard right now. Like they are a bear. Like Randall, I think has, is all the way back. Uh, he is in a great place. I know it hasn't been perfect because it's never perfect, but he's been in a real groove. Obviously Brunson did what, what Brunson did. I think DiVincenzo was fit like a glove in the starting offense, which is again, what makes this, the, the defensive thing so frustrating because you feel like you take him out and it starts to topple over what is now arguably your greatest strength. You know, when RJ started to put it together, RJ had a really nice game against the Suns. He had some nice shots that he made against the Clippers. Um, four of his last five games, solid effective field goal percentage. So it's like, it's all coming together in that respect. I really don't think that there's a defense that can stop them, which sounds crazy to say, but it's true. The numbers say that it's true. Their number, their their offensive numbers have been insane uh, since the first two weeks of the season, and and even the whole way through. So I don't know. Am I selling them a little bit short by by suggesting that like win one out of every three games against like the solid competition you're going to play? Is that is that am I or should I have higher standards? I think you should have higher standards. Okay, then I should. Well, balancing how important Mitchell Robinson is and the loss that he will have versus how good this offense still is, even in his absence, where being able to to blend the two, I mean, I still believe that this is, again, even if it's hovering around 500 from here on out, right? Let's say that- Would you sign for, for 500 uh, in the next 30 games or would you want better than that? No, I I would because of how bunched up the standings are where you're still giving yourself a fighter's chance by the time you would imagine Mitchell Robinson would come back if there are any changes done. You know, you said the the um, All-Star game, but then there are still going to be games in between the deadline and the All-Star game too. So like, this is a 14 and 11 team right now. If they, you know, are... I mean, how many games are between now and then? Did you happen to calculate... Between now and the uh, trade, deadline? trade deadline, yes. So the trade deadline is remind me February All Star game, I should say, since you you mentioned All Star game. So the All yeah the All there's 30 games between now yes, and the All Star game because they played the, the All Star game comes after game 55. The trade deadline, I believe, is Thursday, February 8th. Correct. Yes, that's that correct. Sounds I, right. It's like, are we really going to be that upset over a 29 and 26 team that is dealt with a major injury? 
to no. their starting lineup. I would not be. I can understand no. if other people are. I can't control that. I can control me. And I would be pleased with the fact that this team found a way to rally around and take one of its crucial defensive injuries and mask it however they do. So I would be fine with that. I would sign up for it. Yeah, I, I think I would. I would. I would sign up for it, especially since you figure, as you just mentioned, and I should say that there are uh, the there are four games between the trade deadline and the All Star break. So they play the night of the uh, trade deadline, and then they play three more times before the All Star break. So potentially, and and obviously they don't have to wait until the trade deadline to make a move. They may make a move a week before the trade deadline. But this front office, God knows, has been proactive at times in the past. The Derrick Rose trade was incredibly early. The Cam Reddish trade, I know it doesn't quite. It's not the sort of deal that we're we're talking about here, but that happened early. So, um, if they see something and they like something, I I don't think they'll hesitate to do it. So yeah, I think that's maybe that should be the baseline, like the 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 absolute bottom, and then maybe as we transition to the next topic of conversation, which is uh, a little bit of talking transactions. I think one of the reasons you you may be a little bit more accepting of um, again arriving at the All Star break, whether it's three, four, five games over five hundred, something in that range, is because perhaps your main competition or what was perceived as your main competition coming into the season um, is going through it right now. So let's let's jump to the the Cavs news. So uh, Andrew has a cut and paste right here for me. So I'll just read it. Cavaliers, Evan Mobley, Darius and Darius Garland are both sidelined multiple weeks with knee and draw issues. Um, and per the athletic Donovan Mitchell's long-term future with the franchise looms large. If you won't commit to the Cavs beyond next season, the team would likely have to trade him again. That's per the athletic. Um, my understanding is that Garland's going to be like a month. Mobley could be longer. Um, I think the Cavs could survive this. Uh, you know, we'll see. It's going to be very interesting. I'm just going to say, I don't think I would be shocked if they got to a place where they felt they had to trade Donovan Mitchell this season. What say you? I would agree. Okay. The way I see it is you have just made this really all in trade. You have exit strategies, but you've made an all in trade for Donovan Mitchell last season. Didn't go the way that you planned it. Okay, that's fine. You recalibrate. Try again this year. Other things are falling out in sorts. It's not the Donovan Mitchell acquisition that is hurting that. It is other injuries that are out of your control in terms of what you can do. The way I would imagine the Cavs do it is they try to keep it together. Even if they are struggling by the deadline, they feel, look, we know how good we were last season. We, When we get players back, we can be a strong team. Just get us into the play-in tournament. Get us into the playoffs. Do whatever we can. We can build on that. We had experience from last year. Do that. There's no reason to move Donovan Mitchell in season, especially when you consider that they wouldn't even have the opportunity to extend a max offer. So the Cavs are going to get Donovan Mitchell and then not even get to a point where they can say, hey, here's a max contract if you want it because we want to keep you for the next five years after that. I just don't buy it. Mm. That would be an awful way to manage it. Even if even if we want to say the Cavs would be better off getting more now than they would this summer. I hear the argument. Do we know how much more they would get? Yes, it's a playoff run, but how many teams are able to trade the pieces that they want? Off seasons are usually times where these stars move, not just because of parity, but also because the contracts that are involved are easier to facilitate 
than they might be mid-season. So I just would be very surprised. I still think it's an acquisition that is uh, focused on the summer. It's one of those things where we talked about in the bold predictions with Alex and Gavin, where it's like, if they can't get him to commit, then it's, well, crap. Okay, let's we're kind of up against uh, backs against the wall here. Their backs aren't against the wall right now. So if they have time and if everything about the NBA is wait until the last minute, then they shouldn't have to kind of jump the shark here to get rid of them. I'm just trying to think of, um, again, I'm sure there's something fairly recently that I'm forgetting, but like a, a, a situation where a player of this caliber was traded in season absent um, what I will define as uh, exigent circumstances. So to me, both of the recent, actually all three of the recent James Harden trades to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause that's, that's a player who, who has, clearly has no problem showing his ass and continuing to do so. If like, you don't give in to his ways, that's not Donovan Mitchell, the Durant thing. I'm going to put in its own category because he seemed like he kind of like had a, special kind of relationship with the owner there and this just was like yeah didn't i gave you guys another chance not happening it's Kyrie. i mean the, the Kyrie wanted the contract and then when yeah. that didn't happen they shipped him yeah. out only durant was left so it's like well he's not going to stick around yeah, here exactly yeah um, i wouldn't and describe then, the Kyrie situation as quote unquote oh that, well that, listen Kyrie is as exigent as it gets <laughs> and then and then there was the jimmy butler situation with which Tibbs remembers very well. And that was, again, another one where it was like, this is clearly uh, not tenable. Like, other than those, I'm trying, again, I don't. The one I can think of is uh, Sabonis for Halliburton. Just, and that was a midseason move where no one was unhappy. It was just, hey, this roster needs something and that roster needs another thing. And it was star equity for budding star equity. But even then, it just doesn't that doesn't feel right because that is I thought that was a very equitable deal. Still do. Sure. And we're looking at teams trading players who are kind of in their prime and versus like really getting there. There's a lot of bloom on that rose. Anything with Donovan Mitchell feels like it'd be a different situation. I completely agree. So not that the Cavs would say, hey, we're retooling and we're going to go into another rebuild. It just it wouldn't be a star for. A budding star. Yeah. Um, perhaps the sort of deal that may involve a, a star for a budding star. We'll go uh, next up. Uh, this one's per Jake Fisher. League personnel believe Lori Markinen is no longer untouchable and Utah will be willing to listen to trade offers. Um, I I don't know what who the young the the the, the Tyrese Halliburton would be in this deal i to me well i should i shouldn't say that i think i like laurie marketing as a as a potential fit on a contender than i do sabonis mostly just because of the position he plays i'll always have questions about whether sabonis can defend or uh well enough um at the center spot and i think you need to play him at center marketing play at the four you could play him you could play him at the five you play him at the three um but that was interesting. But I also think we should focus on the fact that that article seemed to make clear, at least to me, that the price Ainge would be demanding would be like the go like a Gobert Donovan Mitchell level return. Um, which, by the way, he probably should 
because Markin is really freaking good and um, he could swing somebody's title chances in a heartbeat. Um, thoughts on on the marketing thing? Same as it's been before, which is I don't feel that the Knicks, if they let's say they entertain a deal with marketing. First off, I don't like the fit with Randall. Uh, okay. It kind of goes back to the same conversation we were having before in terms of the defensive side of it. Offense, defense, yeah. Right. And Scott Perry spoke about this with BJ Armstrong. I thought it was a fantastic portion of it on the podcast that I happened to hear. And it was saying positionless basketball is great, especially in the offensive end. But it's harder when you're positionless on the defensive end because who are you matching up with? Who are you guarding? The Knicks, they're still kind of be that challenge too. Purely from an asset standpoint, I've always felt that Markinen, given his age, his talent, uh, his contract, it's a very cheap deal that acquiring that would essentially cost you more star, like more equity or around sure. the same equity, especially dealing with Danny Ainge as it would be getting like Donovan Mitchell with a year left of his deal. Joel Embiid, when he has two years left and he's past 30, like it's, it might sound crazy, but there's a younger player cheaper, all these other circumstances that come into a different position than being a center, whatever it might be. Bottom line being, I don't like that to me would have to be, the cost would be the move and Laurie Markkinen is not on the same caliber of, or the same tier as the players that it's worth giving up the move for. What do you have left? Are you finding someone who can also fill in the gaps defensively that work? Who's going out? All these combinations that just at the end of the day, I look at a team like the Thunder. It's not an original it's, thought. Plenty of other people have put yeah. this out there, but like you talk about uh, who the Halliburton is like Jalen Williams. That seems like the type of person where a oh. player, if the Thunder were looking to upgrade their roster now and they oh. had to trade players who are younger and they're thinking about fit, like that is a rookie scale player that the Knicks, the Knicks don't have someone who is better than that on a rookie scale uh, deal. So I have no idea if the Thunder want to do that. I don't know if the Jazz even want to go forward and try to move him. I mean, to, the, to me, this feels more like we're listening, but you got to bowl us over. And the Thunder could, and the Knicks could, but the Knicks would also be shortening themselves on the back end for the future. So as much as I appreciate what Larry Markinen does, I just don't see it being here. I I love the offensive fit. Um, I really like the offensive fit. Um, defensively, there's... I'm not like... To go back to your point earlier, you'd have to have one hell of a wing defender at the two um, to to put there, um, and obviously you 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 need you need Mitchell some some caliber of of high level uh, defensive center there as well. Um, yeah, I don't think the Knicks are going to get in that, and, and it's almost too perfect of a trade to make with the Thunder. Uh, so we'll see uh, what happens with that. Uh, last but not least, our old friends, the Raptors, of course. Um, this per Shams of the Athletic. The Raptors have stuck with their talented core of Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi over the past three seasons. But, 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 Toronto has left teams believing that now more than ever, either Siakam or Ananobi could be traded by the February 8th deadline. Um, I will just add that I forget if it was in this article or if it was maybe I was listening to Wendy or, or maybe Zach Lowe. So, whatever. I think the impression league wide is still that of those two, Siakam is the more likely one to to get dealt, um, which makes a lot of sense. He's a lot older than Ananobi. 
Um, I think you could argue that Ananobi's just been better than him this year. I know Siakam's made two All NBA teams in the last three years, but uh, Ananobi's had a really good year. And yeah, they're both going to cost a lot of money, but I think you'd rather pay the money to the guy that maybe still has more upside than rather than the guy who's. I don't want to say too too much negatively about Pascal Siakam, but it's easy to envision Pascal Siakam like this is the best he's going to get, or maybe even like last season was the best he was, and it's going to go on the downhill. I I don't even think we need to have a conversation about like Pascal's fit with the with the Knicks, and I the Knicks are not trading Julius Randle for like there's there's not going to be a, a Pascal Siakam Julius Randle trade. We don't have to have that conversation. The Ananobi thing is like. I don't know what what can we say about it that we haven't already said about it, but I'll, I'll again I'll throw it to you. No, I've said quite a bit on it. I, with Ananobi, the other question that kind of occurs to me is: Yes, maybe the Raptors don't want to trade him. Maybe they want to keep him there. Does he want to stay? Mm-hmm. Like, is this the role that he envisions for himself? Does he want to be on this team? You could put him on twenty nine other teams, and he'd be a fantastic fit for all of them. But does he want to be in Toronto? Is there a risk? a legitimate risk of him going to a place like Philadelphia because Masai has in the past not traded players, maybe when he should have, but those are also older players, right? Like Van Vliet mm. on the older side, wasn't doing very much offensively, especially with that field goal percentage last year. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Lowry, what was it? 35 years old and didn't happen to get traded because it wasn't enough. There's a big difference between that and someone like Ananobi who's in his mid twenties. Now there's of course the whole, lawsuit thing we can talk about that another point but I, I purely really in terms of <laughs> but purely in terms of the raptors and and moving players i mean i just find it very hard to believe that at the end of the season masai ujiri is gonna be like yeah you know what we envisioned uh trading pascal siakam keeping og ananobi w- with the risk of him walking for nothing and also winding up with a draft pick that goes to the Spurs because we traded it for Jakob Pertl and it didn't convey because we weren't bad enough. And maybe yeah. they are bad enough, but that is not what you want to sell to fans and probably not to your bosses too, which is why I'm still skeptical about the Raptors hanging on. We'll see what the rest of the season unfolds for them. But at a certain point, if it keeps going like this, I just don't understand why they're hanging on if they feel they're extenuating circumstances that will cause issue to them retaining either or both of these players. I, you make a great point, a great point about Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry. I, I don't think we ever got any firm reporting on what the best offer for Van Vliet, Van Vliet was before the deadline. I don't, from what I recall, I never got the sense that they were bypassing anything really good, like some team offering like a future unprotected first or like a a big time young player. Like, I don't think that offer was out there. I remember the Lowry. There was a Lakers offer that was pretty good. I maybe there was a first in, in there and like a decent young player. I honestly don't remember. I bad job by me, but even that one, I don't think it was the type of thing where it was like, insane right that that they passed it up and by the way they i mean look it hasn't really worked out but they did get pressure to in the sign of trade and they got you know some salary that they i forget what they it was the tragic salary which i, I forget what ended up turning into, but it, like they got some stuff um siakam's fascinating because like so it's okay the pacers right pacers is a team that makes a lot of sense for siakam 
It might drive, it might disrupt what they're doing a little bit. Like, okay, are the Pacers going to give up the kid that they just drafted, like Jared, the Walker kid, who's like their their backup four right now? Um, like they have some salary. Then again, their salary, like, correct me if I'm wrong. I think all the Pacers' salary, like, actually plays for them. Like, Buddy Heald, like, are they a better team if they swap out Buddy Heald for Pascal Siakam? I mean, that may sound insane to say, but like, he's he's part of their their identity. They're like, you know, shoot, 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 um, you know, run up and down the floor. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that one's going to go. My point is that like, what is he really going to get for Siakam? And like, if it's not much, it's, I don't know. I could just see this going in any number of directions because if he doesn't love the offers for Siakam, then he's probably not going to trade Siakam. If he's not going to trade Siakam, then it's like, okay, so I guess we're going to, we're going to do this again where we go into the summer with the same or, or does somebody bowl him over with an offer for Ananobi and you know, is there a premium that the Knicks would have to pay because of the, to use, to use a term I'd love to use with you because of the Michigas that is happening in a court of a different nature. We got to work on the uh, inflection on it, but that's, I appreciate it. Give me, how, how does it go? I'd say Michigas. You said Michigas, which is, that's the Italian. Image. I like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. I don't. Uh, we'll see. We don't have to talk about this because we, we have no earthly clue what's going to happen. But um, OJ Anadobi is going to cost a lot if and when he gets traded. That's We could safely say that. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Let's give out some game balls, uh, which you get to give out first, despite the fact that you have absolutely nothing to do with the fact that you're giving out the game ball. I don't know how that worked out, but such as uh, great teammates. Uh, shout out to Fred <laughs> for trying to sabotage me, but then I still won. So thank you. Yeah, what the fuck? He picked that one it was he wound up picking two and two, but at first I know. Like, All right, damn it, Fred. So we're good on that. Yeah. Uh, in uh, terms of the candidates, uh, you want to read them or you want me to read them? I, I can do the honors if you like. Go it's for it. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm so gonna fill have, my water. Sure. So game ball given to a player, coach, or entity that stood out this week and deserves special recognition. Jalen Brunson, 50 points, nine assists, six rebounds, five steals, nine of nine from three versus Phoenix. Julius Randle averaged 28, 8, and 5 on 60% shooting this week, secured the game ball after Jalen's 50-point game. Dante DiVincenzo, 11 of 21 from three this week, up to 44% from deep on the season. The combo of Josh Hart and Emmanuel quickly. The Knicks are plus 12.4 in the 911 possessions that they've shared the floor this season. And Taj Gibson, welcome home, OG. John, John. I... Real yes. quick, Jeremy, John just like left the podcast. I know. So I'm still listening. To be fair, Red, I left the podcast <laughs> for three episodes. Two, two I, episodes. I moved so, over three okay. feet to get water. I looked up Come and on. you were like, let me go do something else. I was like, wait, where, where did John go? I was listening. <laughs> I was filling up my water bottle. No, it's okay. We're, we apologize. There were inconvenience in you, John. The, the, I'm sure the listeners will love, excuse me, the viewers will love the visual of just Jeremy reading and your background, which is actually very well set up. Based on how the Knicks have been playing defense lately, it's appropriate that a Knicks podcast host just gets the fuck up and leaves for a little while. 
Gotcha. Fair point. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Jalen Brunson because that. Shocker. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, but that game was just. Uh, I was laughing because of how absurd it was. Yeah. It was. Like there, that one three in the second half where actually I think there were two of them where it just. It should not have gone in and it bounced all the way in. It's like, you know, he's on one. What can you say? Is it as consistent as what maybe another player on the Knicks has been doing uh, since a rough stretch? What feels like many moons ago? No, but also he's one of the best shooters in the NBA and he is uh, working his way up to what I feel is lowercase superstar status, which Mm. if you know me, that's that's high praise. So we'll see. But I I have to give it to Brunson and I give you the floor to give it to uh, another player. Um, I'll just say one more time that like I, that is one of those performances that that rose to the level for me of like almost regardless of what else happens this year I I'm going to carry that with me that was so it was it was I, I don't I still don't have the words to describe it and I talked for like two hours after the game and I don't think I ever found the words I still don't have the words uh, it was incredible um, one of the most incredible things I've seen an athlete do um, in any in any sport. Um, uh, <clears throat> clear the old throat here. So I'm really conflicted, Jeremy, and I and this is like you want to talk about the 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 crux of the Julius Randall thing. Here it is, right here. He has been balling. On offense, like no two ways about it. I don't want to hear like, any criticism that you could have levied about him as an offensive player in the past is kind of gone. Like I know the three point percentage is still pretty low, but like he, it's not his struggles from deep. Like he's not taking a ton of them right now, but him not taking a ton of them is not hurting the offense because he is getting to his spots and his spots. I mean, he's been automatic. From from his spots, um, he's been good on the boards. He's been like just everything you could possibly want him to do. Passing, I think passing. Fred just wrote a whole article on Julius Randle's passing. It was spot on. Except his best passing of his career. Best, like, offensively, I, honestly, offensively, he's playing like an All NBA player the last month or so. It's been that good. And he like even early on in the Clipper game, he was awesome. Early on in the in the um, Suns game, he was awesome. And then, and then you have the moments like at the end of the first half against Phoenix. Once, twice, three times, three was it three times a lady? Is that a phrase? I feel like that's a phrase. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. Fool me once, fool me twice. Yeah, Um, it's Kevin Durant, man. Got to guard him. But nope, uh, three straight times, and then lets that get into his head, and then there's like a, a, a bad possession and like a bad shot and a bad turnover, and the snowball starts to roll. And then you, and then, and that was honestly like the appetizer for the main course, which was uh, in L.A. And again, there's conflict within my conflict here because I'm like, why, why am I singling out Julius Randle? The whole fucking team couldn't defend worth a goddamn on Saturday night, you know. They couldn't. They could not. But 
you watch certain possessions where it's like, oh, okay, he, he's he's kind of opting out of this one at this point. He's he's had just about enough of this game, uh, particularly the beginning of the third quarter. Uh, there were some possessions where it was like, oh boy, okay, I guess we're just we're done here. You know, that kind of stuff um, can still be frustrating, even as the offense is rising to again. I want to be so clear in all NBA level, and I want to be just as clear. Because I've been yelling to people about this on post games the last several weeks. He's not the only star around the NBA who does this shit. A lot of stars around the NBA do it. And it's just more glaring because we don't see it here. We don't see it on this roster. You know, Brunson, he tries his little heart out, um, you know, even if he's not very good defensively. Uh, So I'll give him the game ball. I just, I had to go, I had to go through that for myself. If if not for anybody else, um, just some some Randall frustrations. That's all. But he get he gets my game ball for the week. Well, by transit property, you actually are giving Jalen Brunson the game ball as well, because Julius gave Brunson the game ball. <laughs> so if it makes you feel any better, you accomplish that with Brunson too. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, now I get to read detention, which is given to a player, coach, or entity that deserves to sit down for a while and think about what they did wrong. <clears throat> So you don't want to get something to eat? I can read it because I can if, if you're hungry. I'll take a I'll take a sip. Okay, sounds good. I will be eating. I'm going to make myself some oatmeal after this uh, pot is done. With some with get some that cut up bananas. Yeah. What's that? Porridge. Get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tibbs, God, whomever you blame for the defense. No, Tibbs and God are not the same person. John, thank you, Andrew. Uh, gone from third to sixteenth. 16th in defensive rating over the last two weeks, which coincides with the Mitchell Robinson injury, plus some, some belief that Emmanuel quickly should play more. Uh, pick a Nick from the Utah game. We had RJ going 3-16, 7 from deep. Uh, I'm, I mean, he has it written here, so I'll read it, but uh, Jalen Brunson, 0-6 from 3. Grimes, minus 27 in 16 minutes. Josh Hart, 0-4 from 3, including a great look to tie the game. And then uh, Jericho Sims, bless your heart. Uh, Kevin Durant, keep my wings name out of your effing mouth. I'm feeling, feeling, um, I don't know, not, not in the cursing mood at the moment. And then finally, the NBA schedule makers compare the Knicks schedule to the Sixers schedule over the last few weeks and tell me this is equally balanced. Not so much. Um, <clears throat> hmm. Really don't want to give a, a detention out to, to anyone. Um, you know who I'm giving it to? It's not really one of the candidates here. I mean, his name is mentioned, but not for the thing that um, I'm giving it to him. I'm giving my detention to Josh Hart. Uh, the Clippers were probably going to kick the shit out of the Knicks anyway. I guess I, I cursed after all. Uh, and so Josh Hart's ejection from that game probably did not matter. But like, you know, Benji tweeted this during the game. If there's one team in the entire freaking lead league you need Josh Hart big time against it's the Clippers with all of their wings and um, he got himself tossed and I don't want to get into whether or not he deserved to get tossed or not but like I saw Josh Hart's reaction after he got tossed Um, he did not strike me as a person who had who thought that he had been egregiously asked to leave the game. I will just say that. 
maybe it'll come out at some point what he said i don't know um but i am i i think he earned it is what is is what i'm saying that's me reasonable minds could differ so um yeah um i i i thought that was a a, a, a kind of a crappy thing to do and so he gets my detention i was about like four or five miles away from the arena formerly known as uh, Staples Center. Look, it's a Saturday night in LA. I, Josh, I can't, I can't blame you. I mean, buddy, I can't blame you. I would be out there too. I was out there. I mean, it was a long day, so I didn't do a ton, but like go forth. But I agree. It was, you needed to have him there, especially when we're talking about the, the woes defensively. The personnel is not on par with where the Knicks, or at least where fans might want it to be. And I would imagine the front office feels that way, but can't, get to that point quite yet needed him and he wasn't there in we could talk about it being a second game back to back travel all of that he had to you know, even him. if the even if the refs were were short with the Knicks and handing out technicals like free candy still don't want to put yourself in that position so I think that's that's fair I will be giving my detention to two people I'm going to split it up I'm okay. going to do 70% Tibbs and okay. 30% Jericho Sims. And I'm giving, I'm giving Jericho <laughs> a smaller percentage because it's not his fault. Yeah. Mitchell Robinson went down. He is a, um, in my mind, of like a quadruple A level player. It's a great where You don't want him starting. No. But then again, I can understand if you want to keep Hardenstein with that backup unit, but then you have the minutes issue that comes into play where Hardenstein's starting the fourth quarter. Then is he playing the whole fourth quarter? How is he able to do that? If you look at the, excuse me, the cleaning the glass for the starting lineup of Brunson, DiVincenzo, Barrett, Randall, and Sims, 72nd percentile in offense. Strong, right? I mean, it's not as good as the 95th percentile that Brunson, Quickly, Hart, Randall, and Hardenstein have, or the 90th percentile that Brunson, Quickly, Hart, Randall, and Robinson have. But it's, it's up there. It's good. It's the defense. Yes. Specifically, the zeroth percentile of this starting lineup My favorite on the word. defensive end. <laughs> the fifth percentile in efficiency. The third percentile in turnover percentage. The first percentile in defending offensive rebounds. That, to me, is a little bit of a problem. And I get it. The Knicks aren't probably going to be able to do much. They did bring back Taj. I... Couldn't help but wonder if also from afar, and this isn't trying to be salacious, but perhaps there's some mild uh, concerns with voices in the locker room. Fred seemed to allude to that. We've seen other yeah. players speak up. Just saying, if you have a need at that position, you don't expect that player to be there, but you want someone to kind of be that vet locker room presence that you don't necessarily need, but but maybe could be nice to have. Can't hurt. Taj gives me there can't hurt. I agree. Yeah. But having Sims in that role, it it pushes him further than he should be. Yeah. I would like to see Hartenstein in that role. Granted, I know that the starting lineup of those four plus Hartenstein, the little that we have seen of it has not been very productive. Yeah. But I think it's worth exploring more because if we're already going to keep changing up the rotation, if you're going to keep DiVincenzo there, the only logical move here is to move Hartenstein in because we know that RJ Barrett's not going to the bench. We know that Julius Randle's not going to the bench, and we certainly know it's not going to be uh, Jalen Brunson either. Yeah. So if DiVincenzo is going to stay, they have one move left in their hand, and it's getting Sims out of the starting lineup. 
I was in favor of Sims starting because I, for the exact reason you just said, keeps Hardenstein with the backup unit. It's less disruption. And the bet is you stay even uh, with the other team starters and then you win the game when the bench is in, which is kind of how they've kind of how they won games last year. Uh, the the few games that they won the year before that, that's how they did it. And the, and honestly, with Derrick Rose kind of coming off the bench the year before that, that's how they won a lot of games that way too. This has been their formula to to win the bench minutes. Um, and a lot of that has had to do over the last three plus years with Emmanuel Quickly, who which is why everybody who's yelling and screaming that he needs to play more minutes, that it's valid. It's absolutely valid. Like he's he's a he's too good of a player to play twenty minutes a game. Like putting aside like who's to blame for that or whether anybody is to blame for that other than just like this is the roster construction. I think that's where reasonable minds could differ, but there's zero question Emmanuel quickly should be playing more than 20 minutes in NBA game. Zero question. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> all that being said, I... <laughs> it's going to sound nuts. I would probably bench Sims, put him back in his reserve role, like d- whatever, like reserve, reserve, like deep, deep role. I think I would try to start Taj. I think that's what I would try to do, which I, I get. I, he's has not been on an NBA roster since what training camp. I uh-huh. would take my chances with Gibson for the exact same reasons that I would wanted to take my chances with Sims, except I think Taj Gibson, even at the stage of his career, even at this age, even having just walked in off the street, I think Taj will be a market improvement over Jericho Sims, who, frankly, and again, this is no, sh- I, I, this is going to sound harsh, but like he's, he did not look like an NBA player, especially against the Clippers, but really at various points in time over this, over this run. Um, and I also think, last thing, I'm not sure, even like obviously, Taj, not the defender he used to be. So I think it you're probably going to need to do something at the other guard spot too. I don't know if that's starting Grimes again. And I got to tell you, I did not think I'd be the person to say this, especially since I wrote a whole thing a couple weeks ago about how it there's reasons it doesn't make sense for off for offensive purposes because you want to spread the wealth with with your with your engines. I, I almost wonder if you need to start quickly for defense at the two. Um. And I, I, I think that would cause some ripple effects. I think it would re- relegate either DiVincenzo or Grimes or both of those guys to a, a lot fewer minutes than they're accustomed to. Because I think the only way you have your cake and eat it too, if you if you start it quickly, which by the way I don't think they're going to do this, um, is if you because you want to still have him with the backup unit, and like there's just I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. I wonder if they're thinking about it. That's the only thing I'll say out loud. I wonder if they're thinking about it. Um, I, I I know nothing, but I just I hope they're I hope they're thinking of everything. That's all. I guess I'll say. Yeah, I don't. I'm sure they've certainly thought of quickly starting, but for the main reason of solid. Well, but they could think about it and then say, well, here's why we won't. Right, and that being the bench, you know that you can get a strong um, first unit. The issues like with Grimes and DiVincenzo, for example, right? Like they are similar in that both exist heavily off the ball. And so there's kind of with Tibbs, the ability to have three on ball players, Brunson, Randall Barrett, and then have someone else 
who really doesn't need to eat a lot. Quickly does. He does need to eat. He His best opportunities historically come off of the bench. Yeah. Again, not to say he's a bench player. It's that the way to maximize him the most, you can bring him off the bench, but then keep playing him. Don't, don't make it just like 20 minutes and he's out. Keep having him close games. Keep having him. Well, he did in be in it. Right. Yeah. I, I know. Keep doing yeah. that. Just don't have it be 20 minutes a game. So being able to still incorporate him, but not starting him is fine by me. For Taj, I would not start him under any circumstance. It's fine. The reason being, 38 years old, had a drop off last year. I don't expect him to do better than where he was at compared to last year. Uh, father time comes for us all. And I just am not expecting the Taj bounce back season as he approaches 40 so or close to it. So I would. He even knows where his role is at, which is he said it. I'm I'm like the guy who fills in when necessary, yeah. which I, I'm not even doing a service to the quote because the way that it was was really more like I'm not playing. It, it, I'm I'm just I'm kind of a fly on the wall. So to go yeah. from that to have him starting, it's too much for me personally. I would okay. just like to see Hartenstein in the starting unit roll Sims back a bit. If you needed to still keep Hartenstein's minutes around the same place where it's been, you can do that. But just don't start your games in a potential deficit because you have a center who is starting that maybe just shouldn't be starting. The only thing I'll say in response to the quickly thing, and you, everything you're saying on Taj makes complete sense. I'm, I, I know I'm, it's a reach. Uh, on the quickly thing, it's almost like there would be two different Emmanuel quicklies. There would be the Emmanuel quickly that starts games, which is he's much more focused on the stuff he does off the ball, which he can do mm-hmm. um, offensively. And then there's the Emmanuel quickly who runs the second unit, which again, this would the only way this would work probably would be to have him play three separate stints if you wanted him to close halves slash games because you're like probably keeping him out there for the first six, seven minutes, whatever goes to the bench, comes back at the beginning of the second, maybe gets another breather. And then if you want him in for the last four or five minutes of the half, like, you know, and like there's not many players that RJ does that now. So basically you'd be giving him the RJ rotation, but then you're probably still going to give RJ the RJ rotation. So it's... um. It would be a lot of change. It would be a lot of change, and I don't know if they feel like it is it is necessary or even the best approach. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We we know the working formula on offense. Yeah, I know. High usage guys and a center who's not going to do very much, and one other player who's going to spot up. And it's again quickly can do that last part. Yeah, but I'm worried about how it's compounded with having three other high usage guys, and then with deals with with Grimes yeah. and Divincenzo. Where you've got two players who really aren't point guards whatsoever doing more ball handling or getting really funky with the it's on Tibbs to be creative. Don't get me wrong here, but well, can, it, it doesn't feel like upsetting the full apple cart. I just think they're they're one move away in terms of the center position where it can stabilize what we're talking about. It It is on Tibbs, but the fact that we're sitting here and like two well, one intelligent person, one person who who is, does a great job pretending, are talking about starting fucking Taj Gibson and uh, like completely upsetting the apple car with like, do you start a manual quickly? The fact that we're having these conversations leads me to be like, you know what? Actually, the easy answer is Julius, Jalen, and yes, you, RJ, who's defended much better this year, but like, mm-hmm. you're a big fucking wing. Like, you could do even more than you're doing. Like, show up and start defending like your salaries, you know, pretend that you should be able to do. Um, 
And that's really all there is to it. Like the, these guys are capable of playing high level defense. The Knicks need them to. That's it. Okay. Predictions presented by our new friends at Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash KFS and use code KFS for a first deposit match of up to $100. Uh, say that one more time. It's Prize Picks. So prizepicks.com slash KFS and the code is KFS for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy with our friends at Prize Picks. Okay, I am losing again. Don't care for that. Uh, we're only picking three games because we are recording um, next Saturday night, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's only going to be three games played between now and then. Uh, those three games will be at the Los Angeles Lakers, at the Brooklyn Nets, and versus. The Milwaukee Bucks, Jeremy. I'm very curious to see which way you go with this. I will be going one and two. I had a funny feeling. Yeah, I just uh, the schedule doesn't get easier. Playing the in season tournament, uh, Los Angeles Lakers, who I believe are raising the banner <laughs> yes, they for are. it, which I hadn't put it together till just this moment that the Knicks are the team that gets to. Uh, Bring that one in. So, yeah, cool. But yeah, payback for 1973 uh, and, and 1970. Yeah, it's not like the Lakers didn't beat the Knicks in one of those, though, too, right? Didn't they win in 71? In 72, but uh, there's still payback okay. for one more. Yeah, there it is. So, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to not play the Bucks anymore. That'll be fun when we can say that in a couple weeks. But I, I just, I, I want to be optimistic. I'm going to go with one and two. I think it's the smart move um, because you figure even if they beat the Lakers, uh, don't look now, folks, but the fucking Nets are, I think they, last I checked, they had like 10th best net rating in the league or 11th or something like that. They're, the Nets are good. Like The Nets are just a good basketball team. Um, so, uh, and you know, those those games always, I feel like, are, are close. So like, yeah, you beat the Lakers, you could still lose the Nets and then the Bucks. Uh, obviously, if you lose to the Lakers, then it's like one and two is looking really good. Um, I'll take two and one. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to be crazy and take zero and three. I think they will. They will find a way to win at least one of these, and it wouldn't shock me if they went. They went two and one by any stretch. Would not shock me in the least. I think they could be. I think I actually kind of like the matchup against the Lakers better than I like the matchup against either the Clippers or the Suns. And um, then you know, win that game and then go go beat Brooklyn, which you should do. Um, we'll see what happens. Okay, announcements. Pre-game pod coming up, uh, courtesy of GMAC, who talks to uh, Trevor Lane of Lakers Nation. That will be coming your way uh, today. Will be up on the feed uh, if it's not up already by the time you're listening to this. Uh, we have a watch along for the next Lakers game that is coming with the casual crew, as well as a special post-game show featuring. GMAC and Sean with a W. Those guys are teaming up, hopefully, to talk about a Lakers win. Or excuse me, my God, did I really just say that? A Knicks win. Um, I don't. I, I don't know what the hell's wrong with me today. Yeah, shaking, shaking your head, Andrew. <laughs> now we know where your heart truly lies. Yeah. I always knew you were a camera at a stand, yeah. just following him. Down. That's what it I is. just want. I yeah. just want Cam to experience success. That really is what it comes down to. By the um, way, that 
in that conversation I have with Trevor Lane, there's a shout out to you that's not an actual shout out to you, but when you hear it, you'll know it's well, a shout out to you. Can't wait for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, hopefully a Knicks win. The reason I was getting my words twisted, I was thinking of of uh, what I was going to say next, which is uh, I will be back doing post games after they're done with this godforsaken West Coast trip. So you'll see me after both the uh, Nets game and the first Bucks game, and then. Uh, and then it's Christmas. Uh, and then last but not least, Tuesday night, KFS X's and O's. That is at 7.30 p.m. You can tune into the Knicks Film School YouTube channel to see uh, it's it's Benji and DJ, right? Yep. There we go. Okay. So something to look forward to. Anything else? I'll say one more thing. Yes. I'll end it on an optimistic note. It, this will Please. sound like a dig and then optimistic. I really do not mean it this way. Andrew looking at me so perplexed. No, the I was looking at the offensive ratings since RJ Barrett came back from his migraine. The Knicks being third in that category when RJ's true shooting percentage is hovering above 50%, like 50.6%, yeah. speaks volumes to what they've been able to do. And I'm hopeful yeah. that certainly RJ is able to pick it up and the offensive rating keeps going. But I just thinking about how astounding it is because it, it truly didn't dawn, not dawn on me that the Knicks doing this well offensively when they have Mitch being out when RJ is just not able to to do what he's been doing in the earlier part of the season where Grimes was the guy and now isn't there and now Steven Chenzo who like so many moving pieces and the two ones that really have been so great are Julius Randle Jalen Brunson there there is a world um, because of just how good this team is operating offensively, there is a world where, you know, Mitch doesn't get hurt. Maybe make some free throws in Utah, make some free throws and maybe another one or two of the losses that you've had that if, you know, you're never going to make all your free throws, but you make most of your free throws. Maybe those turn on their head. Um, like there is a world where we're sitting and, and looking at this team with the talent that they have and they are in like second or third place in the East right now that, that, that it's not crazy. And yet, and yet because of everything we talked about to start off this episode, yes, I am sitting here and being like, man, can we go 500 over the next two months? You know, that's, that's the NBA. That's the reality of life in the NBA, at least as I see it. But, that's it can get better. Games. It truly can get better. It it can They're really and, close. And hopefully it will. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Jeremy. It's great to have you back. Um, I'm looking forward already to. Uh, I think we'll we'll be consecutive shows that we get to do together. We're going to talk next weekend. Um, until then, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Next Film School Podcast. Uh, don't forget if you dig the show, uh, certainly subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, if you feel uh, the holiday spirit coursing through your veins take the extra minute go on to your your podcast app leave us a review um hopefully a positive one and a five-star rating those things help us out a great deal um until next time we will talk to you soon peace out
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.